standard issue for all women. Hello, Jen here to tell you about this episode of The Sunday Chops. In this episode, I chat to Professor Linda Scott, Emeritus Professor at the University of Oxford. Linda is also the author of new book, The Double X Economy, which is about we are not playing or indeed paying fair when it comes to women in the economy. And guys, guess what? Economics, it's not that dry after all. This is an absolutely fascinating chat and it is a mind-blowing book. So please do check it out if you get the chance. And I do hope you enjoy listening to this chat. I am joined via Zoom by Linda Scott, Emeritus Professor at the University of Oxford and also founder of the Double X Economy, which is a consulting firm, and also the title of your new book, Linda. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, thank you for inviting me. Can you tell us a bit about what the book is about to kick off with? The book is meant to be a call to action on behalf of women and the economy around the world. It is both trying to make people understand that we can have more economic growth if we include women better, that there will be more prosperity, but also to call people's attention to the extreme costs, social costs and human suffering that occurs because women are excluded. So it's a call to action on both counts. Unequal pay costs the global economy 160 trillion US dollars a year. Where does that hypothetical money come from? Is that in terms of taxes? That's that's an excellent question. And let me say, first of all, that I want to be clear that I'm not an economist. I've been working on this for years and years and years, but um, I mostly came through a marketing perspective and consumer behavior. So I have a lot of experience in terms of these kinds of questions, but I don't want to pass myself off as someone with a PhD in economics. Mm This particular projection was, I believe, it comes from the World Bank, as I recall. And they they put out a lot of projections like that in order to be able to just give people a sense of how big or how small a problem is. It's it's mostly to let you know this is something we really should be paying attention to because this is this is how big the impact is. And usually what happens is they put a lot of different inputs and outputs into a big equation, okay? And that's, I'm sure, what goes on here. I know the major part of it is an estimate of lost productivity. It's the idea that people don't work as hard or as much if they feel like they're unequally compensated. Or particularly in the case of Britain, I would say women choose not to work because their compensation doesn't balance off the cost of childcare, for instance. Okay, so that's it. I believe that number's in the book too, is it that Britain loses a great deal of GMP every year because a big number of its females are not full-time. And so that's one of the things. The other thing is spending power, that if people are not being paid, they're not spending, and spending is a stimulus to the economy. Sure. So it would be all those things. All those things would be put into an equation that would then spit that number back out. I think that in terms of economics and buying power and society, advertising is absolutely fascinating what it tells us about all of those things. Because the way that advertising undermines women and is aimed at men or rather the male gaze, it really plays into all this stuff. So like, for example, if Mac wants me to buy a lipstick as a woman, it wants me to go and buy a lipstick for example, but it wants me to consider that lipstick 
from the eyes of a man, basically, how a man sees that lipstick. It doesn't want me to think about how I think I look in it. It wants me to think about how I think a man thinks I look in it. Do you think all of that kind of stuff plays into inequality in the economy? Only very indirectly, to be honest. This whole strain of thought is something that I don't agree with, actually. And okay. um, actually, my previous book is all about that. It's called Fresh Lipstick, actually. Oh. And, and it's all about, you know, why, that, why there's been this critique of um, it's really the beauty industry and the fashion industry and how that, how that arose in history. I also have done a lot of writing of history, actually. Mm-hmm. And how that came about and what the anthropology of self-decoration is. And it's very different from what the sort of typical Protestant, you know, sort of Anglo-Protestant perspective is. And so I don't really, don't necessarily agree with that. I do think that there's a connection that has to do with the need for women to have a man in order to be economically viable. Okay. And um, you, uh, there's a chapter in the book that talks about the history of marriage and the economic restraints that came with being a wife, how women up until actually quite recently had no way of living, literally no way of putting a roof over their heads unless they had a man to to do it. And, and that gets to a very big emphasis on appearance. So I was doing a bit of research this morning. I saw a video of a, of a talk that you were involved in and in it, women are described as an emerging economy, right? Mm-hmm. Women are not emerging, are they? <laughs> Women no, are, not. <laughs> are very, very much been around for a long time. So, so what is this about? Why are we now being seen as an emerging economy, as it were? That's really language that um, that I don't myself use, but it's the kind of language that gets used in places like the Harvard Business Review, right? They think of women as an emer- when they talk about women as an emerging market, it's because they're uh, comparing them to, like, for example, China or India or Brazil, mm-hmm. um, maybe 10 years ago. And the idea that because they're increasing in economic power, which they certainly are, yeah. that that makes them an emerging market. Now, the joke is on them because, in fact, women have bought most goods, for, especially in the developing country, for at least 100 years. Mm. So they're not an emerging market. They are the market. Yeah, They just are the market. Yeah, because they tend to have sort of the majority of the spending power within households, right? So if someone's going to buy like some white goods, it's probably going to be a female member of the household who decides what fridge they're going to buy, for example. Well, exactly. And um, and that even goods that people tend to think of as not being female controlled, like, I don't know, electronics or something like that, or the youth market, for example, usually, in fact, it is it's the woman who decides what they're going to pay for it, what brand it is, when it's coming, how it's going to be used, all of those things. And it's um, very much in female hands. So why isn't advertising aimed at them? But it is aimed at them, actually. Um, it's um, they very much think about the consumer, the person who's going to buy it, and the person who's going to use it. One of the reasons it served me well in the work that I've been doing the last 15 years is that they get very close to what is the consumer experience going to be. So, for example, there's a chapter in the book where I talk about um, the lack of sanitary towels that poor girls have in um, rural Africa, which was something I studied for many years. And one of the strengths I had in that situation was to go in there and think about things like how much water is there? 
where would you dispose of this thing? What are the alternative materials you've got? What would the you know smell of things be? What would the size of things be? And I was taught to do that in consumer goods, okay? And they're very close to that kind of thing. So they know that, in fact, you probably don't think that much about how a man sees you when you buy a lipstick. You probably do think about how you're going to look in it. I tend to think of economists as quite serious types. And in, in your introduction, you detail some language used by male economists about women. And it's quite shockingly, A, disparaging and B, sexual. Is this sort of the bottom line that women are just not seen as serious enough to play a serious role in the economy? Yeah, that's the bottom line. They're just not taken seriously. And it's the assumption is that women don't make a serious contribution, that we don't have a serious impact, and therefore a serious economist would not pay any attention. Now, the thing is, is that at this moment, women contribute 37 to 40% of global GDP. In the, in the advanced nations, the developed nations, it's, you know, it's around about 40%. In the U.S., women are the majority of the workforce. And like I said, we buy most consumer goods. So in truth, Women are big economic heavyweights, particularly in the developed nations. And so it is absurd to be ignoring them and treating them like they're not a serious force. Women produce over half the world's food supply. So it's crazy, but yeah, they think, well, women aren't serious, so therefore they're not you know, serious in the economy. A lot of it, though, does have to do, Jen, with the fact that women were excluded so severely for so long and up until, you know, I can remember it, so recent living memory, that it's easy for people to assume we're not engaged in Can you tell us a bit about some of those barriers? Like one of the things you talk about is um, obviously the gender pay gap and the, the UK average loss per household because the gender pay gap is, I think, £9,000. And what you've sort of said about that is it's not, an accident that this is the case it's literally designed by policy to keep mothers at home and as an expectant mother myself it's you know my first child but I have a million like conspiracy theories about breastfeeding for example <laughs> and why a lot of the stuff that's pushed on mothers is designed to keep them at home basically and to keep them out yep. of out of the labor market and the fact of the matter is if women earn the same amount of money as men you know, at the moment, it makes economic sense for men to continue working when a woman has a baby, because it just does, because the man is earning more than her most of the time. Whereas if that was not the case, it would not necessarily make economic sense for women to stay at home. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? As I explain in the book that I think that, well, there are many constraints, Mary, and they are very, they are virtually identical from country to country around the world, and that's because they have very, very long historical roots. One of the main ones is that women were not allowed to own land or any other significant assets until well into the 20th century. And so as a result, the capital in the world is controlled by men, which means in turn that the companies that everybody works for are controlled by men and have been dominated at the top by men, even since the, you know, the sort of revolutionary changes of the 1970s. 
in the 70s, Jan, I'm old enough to remember that the issue then was trying to keep women at home because they were married, that you were not supposed to be working if you were married, that your real job was supposed to be at home. And there were lots of things like marriage bars, literally policies um, and all kinds of directives that said if a woman gets married, she literally goes from the altar home and does not go back to work. I can remember when I was, you know, working in those times and was married, people would say, oh, my gosh, your husband lets you work? In the 70s. In the 70s. Okay. And so the thing is, they lost that war. Okay. Mm. That was over. See, when you're in the 70s, really? Yes. So that's how over that is. But when I, so what I'm building to is that there had to be something else and that something else was motherhood. Okay. When they lost the battle about the wives, they had to go after the mothers. And that, that really is honestly my belief is that it, it, that this business about, well, women get paid less because they have babies with the implicit charge there is that, you know, it's some social vice that women have children uh, and they deserve to be punished for it. It's a reason for women to be paid less. It's a means for people to be paid less, for women to be paid less. And uh, this is one of the most damaging things that the British government does to itself, is allow the discrimination against mothers. It is economic self-flagellation. It's just, it's stupid. In the UK, you are entitled to, provided you don't earn over a certain threshold, you are entitled to some assistance with childcare costs. But obviously, yeah, for a lot of women, it doesn't make economic sense to work because all of their money would be spent on childcare. So clearly the state is making some sort of contribution, whereas the woman would be earning and paying taxes, which would be the contribution. Is that kind of the argument for yeah, it? Yeah, the thing is, is that one of the most reliable contributors to GDP is female labor force participation. Now, most people are surprised at that, well, to growth in GDP, because, but it's because men basically all around the world work all the time. They all work and they all work all the time. So you don't ever have any growth from that unless you have some kind of revolutionary technology or something that increases productivity. Women, on the other hand, are usually not not well engaged. And so if you can get them engaged, it adds to, to the productivity of the country and therefore to GDP. All right, so when Britain has policies that force its mothers work time or stay home, then it reduces the amount of female, female labor force participation, which holds that growth. Okay. which in turn, as you're saying, holds back tax revenue. And another thing that is very damaging about this is that right now, and for many years already, women have been better educated in the UK than men. So the government has invested money, taxpayer money, into their education and then forces them out of the labor market with these backward 1950s attitudes about motherhood and so they lose that investment because women it's so difficult because just as you say the man's earning more so they stay home in order not to pay child care but what happens is it's a long-term loss many of them go back or if they go back they go back at a much lesser role than they would have had so all that investment in education 
gets either completely lost or underused. It's a loss in GDP, it's a loss of investment, it's a loss of tax revenue. It's extremely expensive. Obviously, we are in a bit of a crazy world situation at the moment and we're talking at the end of May and by the time this interview goes out, obviously I don't know what the situation will be, but I think it's generally accepted that the economy is not going to be in a good place globally for some time following this. There's been a lot of talk, certainly in the UK, about how that might be used to the benefit of society in that kind of rebuilding process. And one of the things that gets talked about quite a lot is working from home. So we've proven that we can work from home. And for a lot of women, that would be of huge benefit in terms of childcare, for example, knowing that they can go and pick their kids up from school, they can drop their kids off at school, etc, etc. Do you think that will make a big impact coming out of this? I'm hoping that it will not. No, I'm hoping it will be completely the opposite. And I'll tell you, oh. if, I, yeah, if, if I can, what I would rather see is people recognizing actually that childcare is an infrastructural need, that it's just like highways and utilities and things like that, that the governments need to invest in childcare instead. And I'll tell you why. Just as an example, as I mentioned to you, I'm looking after a four-year-old during the pandemic 24-7 all by myself. Mm-hmm. Okay, and even though I have children, this is my granddaughter, I've never had to do it completely by myself with no no daycare, no babysitter, no nothing. And my respect for stay-at-home moms has gone through the roof, I've got to tell you. There is no way. I had three major deadlines that were coming up when this pandemic hit, and it has just been horrible for me trying to meet them. Because I get like three hours a day when she when she naps, kind of thing, right? It is it's not possible to hold down a full time job and work from home and and take care of a child at the same time. It's just not possible. And I think we've had this myth, and it's been particularly strong in Britain because the government, you know, Theresa May made a big thing about well, remote working is what businesses have to do. I don't think it's going to be a solution, and I think that that is one of the lessons actually, that will come out of this. Because after people have been cooped up for six months with all their children, they're going to realize this is just not a workable solution. A lot of people are saying it's it's going to be a massive blessing. But yeah, there's a possible downside to it in that I know like I work from home most of the time. In fact, through this situation, I have learned that in theory, I could work from home all the time whether I would want to or not is is another matter but there is kind of as someone who works from home in the past I have noticed that some people take an attitude of like well you could just come and see me today like while I'm on maternity leave or whatever or like you could just come and hang out with me and it's like well I've still got a job to do I'm just doing right, it right. at home like I don't I don't just get to like go off somewhere for two hours because I work from home that's that's not how it works so yeah I did think there was potentially a downside for it in in that respect in that respect people yes they don't honor those boundaries very well yeah but I do think and this is this is the point that what you're saying kind of hints at that we do need to have flexible work I do, I do think because the parents of young children certainly know that little children, they go off to daycare, they bring home every cold that comes through town, right? And so there's a lot of, of necessity needing to stay home with a, with a sick child, right? Or, you know, staying home sick yourself. And you need to be flexible to be able to work from home in those situations. And that's just a practical, that's a practical matter. 
Although I do think that the absenteeism about from, from that is exaggerated. It's often used as an excuse to pay women less, of course, but it is exaggerated. But you do need to have that flexibility. Basically, the sort of central theme to your book is that when we fail women, we, we all lose. But what can we do about it? How should we address it? As you know, the, the every woman, so to speak, given that policymakers are consistently failing us, what can we do other than, you know, vote for someone who we hope might do a better job? My feeling is, and, and I'm addressing, you know, nations generally, but Britain in particular, that it really needs to be pushed to the centre of public consciousness again. Uh, there needs to be more discussion in public and not not just in special interest venues because I think that in that environment it's kind of gone to sleep as an issue it's kind of gone underground if there's not enough discussion of what this really means and I think that one of the strategies should be this point we were talking about earlier of how important women really are to the economy and how important it is for the governments to get behind them for their own good. I mean, for the good, of, as you say, it's, a, it's an issue for everyone. It affects everyone when women are pushed out or underpaid or, you know, forced to, you know, work part time or whatever it is. And so what I would want to see is that if you push it into the center of public discourse and make people understand what it's costing them, like I think 9,000 pounds for every British household every year is a big figure, right? Yeah. Um, things like that. I think would do more. I think you make a very good point there that a lot of the time things that are of benefit to or concern women are often seen as like niche rather than mainstream. And also, I think you're right. Like, you know, there's a lot of talk in the UK, at least. um, There's a lot of talk about the gender pay gap. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the the motherhood premium, I guess, or or the fact that, you know, the the expense of childcare. These are not things that are not talked about. But I think what we don't talk about, I think you're quite right, is the overall loss to the economy and the fact that addressing those issues really does work to the benefit of everyone. Right. And there there is a calculation in the book that's done on the basis of the US, but it would be even more of a big deal if you did it for Britain. And that is I do the calculation of how much the government is losing in GDP from, from mothers staying home. And then what it would cost instead to provide universal childcare, and the contribution to GDP from having those women in the in the workplace dwarfs the cost of the childcare. Okay, so it just it just completely makes it very clear that you're better off paying for the childcare. Yeah, and I guess you know if you roll out universal childcare in that way as well, you have like economies of scale and things like that. So yes, that's yes, amazing. and 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 control over quality standards, which is yeah. extremely important. Yeah. yeah. Linda, this has been a very fascinating chat. Thank you very much. Thank you. The book is available in the UK now. It's published by Faber and Faber and I assume is available from all good bookshops and indeed online. Where can we find out more about the work you're doing? Because it sounds absolutely fascinating and I'm sure people will want to keep an eye on it. Well, I do have a blog. It's doublexeconomy.com. Do you have any social media? Prof Linda Scott is my Twitter handle. Linda, thank you so much and good luck with the rest of your homeschooling. (laughs) Thank you. Standard Issue for all women.